Download a podcast from Relay FM recorded Thursday, June 8th, 2017. This is episode 7. Everything is great for Smash Mouth. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this week I'm joined by three fantastic guests. Michael Gartenberg is the analyst in residence at iMore and a former senior marketing director at Apple. Hello, Mr. Gartenberg. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's good to have you. Good to hear your voice. Um, Andy Anatko, beloved technology industry columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times, and I've been working with Andy for a couple of decades. Hi, Andy. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. And Susie Oaks, writer and editor, former executive editor at Macworld. Hi, Susie. Hey, Jason. What's up? Uh, we're doing a podcast. That's what's up about. Sweet. Guess what? <laughs> the It's the three best stories of the week as chosen by me without this week the help of download podcast producer Stephen Hackett, who is on assignment, as I enjoy saying, really at Apple Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference in San Jose. He is still there right now, which brings us to most of our topics for today. This is Apple's big week where they unveil lots and lots of stuff. On Monday, Apple announced a whole bunch, including the next major updates to all the operating systems that drive its hardware platforms. It also introduced a new product in a brand new category for Apple, the HomePod, a voice-controlled connected speaker that will compete with the Amazon Echo, the Google Home, connected music players like Sonos. It'll cost $349 mild pat on my own back for predicting that price by the way and it'll ship in december so let's talk about this home pod product a little bit by the way the, how do you predict an apple price is you predict the price you think it's going to be and then add fifty dollars and that's the price that's, you, you, you should be proud that, that that little mountain climber just went and stopped bing right at the top there that's that's jason that's jason's little little special value how did you, you got a contestant's row how did you learn that secret though it's just, uh, it's, uh, I think, I think it's always every product announcement, not every, many product announcements from Apple. I think as, as they're going through all the details, what's it going to cost? What's it going to cost? And I find generally it costs 50 to $100 more than I was hoping it would cost. So I just try to build that into my own little private Apple emulator. So what, I'm, I'm curious what everybody thinks about this, um, especially the marketing focus of this product, which was entirely almost around music and sound. The Siri sort of functions were, were sort of mentioned at the end. Uh, how do you feel about this product in the way that Apple chose to pitch it, Michael Gartenberg? Why don't you give us the start? Well, when all you have is music, um, you pitch music. When all you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Siri is not quite on par, in my opinion, with either what a can do or what Google Home can do. And Apple was wise not to pitch it as that type of product, but to focus on music and more importantly, to change the conversation, uh, as well as kind of freeze out the market a little bit. If you're a consumer and you're thinking about buying one of those other things, um, perhaps Apple has said, that's not what you want. That's not the way you want it. And, you know, you should go ahead and buy this uh, HomePod instead. So... Um, I almost wonder if this is one of those rare times where Apple felt the need to react and not be um, proactive, particularly to announce a product that's not going to ship until December of all times. 
Yeah, $350 for a speaker that it was really weird for them to say we are going to really get people interested in this this speaker that's going to be at least twice as expensive as anything they were considering buying in some cases twice as expensive in some cases 12 times as uh, eight times as expensive or 10 times as expensive and saying and their their big push is my god the audio in this is wonderful and we're going to describe to the world via audio via the speaking spoken word how awesome this thing is going to sound and i'm like yeah but you're just telling me how many tweeters it has and you're telling me that it uses all kinds of hocus pocus mumbo jumbo with the a8 processor to decide that the vocals should be a little bit hotter or a little bit sweeter or the drums should be over here next to my left eardrum in this in the corner i just don't know who this is for it's it's right it's right at that place where for 350 dollars, i'm thinking that i want something with two speakers mm-hmm. that kind of gives me a really better place of where left and right is and as as usual I, I feel sorry for Phil Schiller. I really do because I don't know if this is. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to assume that this is his doing. All I'm saying is that every time I have a note next to my next to my notes when I'm taking when I'm doing the live thing, I say, "My God, that was one of the dumbest things that they could have said about this." It's always a line that they made Phil Schiller say, <laughs> which is to say, like you, you know that you're 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 you need to put your on your seatbelt when they start talking about the prices of competing products, and, and so to, to set us up for the fact that this was going to be at least fifty dollars more than we were hoping. It was going to be. It was now. Just just think about it. a premium blue, a premium premium wireless speaker can cost five hundred six hundred dollars. A smart speaker can cost two hundred dollars. That's seven hundred dollars. We're but we're happy to say that instead of the seven hundred dollars that you definitely were going to be spending on both of those things, you're going to be spending half as much. You're welcome. It's like yeah, Phil. Buy, I, you can buy two. Yeah, it's like but you can't. But I can't because I'm I'm a freelance journalist and I'm rapidly collapsing market i can't buy two of these things but i can buy like two google homes one for the bedroom and one for the kitchen and i don't think they understand or at least this the what they were able to show t- t- yesterday or this week was not the idea of let's have a smart assistant that works everywhere it's like let's give us a really good speaker andy all i can say is phil never says anything on stage that he doesn't want to well it is weird that they're positioning it as this you know audiophile speaker because it only really works with apple music it doesn't even have bluetooth in it so to stream other music to it you have to be using an airplay 2 device which is just going to be anything running ios 11 or uh, mac os high sierra so so it's really for apple fans um, who are, you know, subscribing to Apple Music, but then who, like, you know, audiophiles aren't really into music services. Apple Music doesn't have a high quality tier. So I don't really, I'm having a hard time seeing like the Venn diagram of of which market segment is going to go crazy for this. Um, it's not surprising that they um, didn't highlight the Siri parts of it because um, just, just for asking the kind of questions that I think people are, you know, sort of understanding now that you would ask um, a smart speaker like Alexa or Google Home, Siri's bad at all that stuff because it doesn't like to look things up on the internet unless you really like tell it to. And that's just, you know, where you'd find most of these answers. So, so that makes sense to me that they would try to, you know, change the story to, okay, it's just a really, really good speaker that also has Siri in it. Um, yeah. So I'm, I don't know how many they're going to sell. It seems like if, if it was an Apple TV that only played stuff from the iTunes store, like that, it just wouldn't be a popular product. So I think they're going to open it up 
someday. Um, I really liked what The Verge said about how it needed a software kit so apps could tap into it. Mm-hmm. Um, apps on your phone, because as even Phil Schiller said in, in an interview recently, a lot of times you're going to want a screen on these things. And it doesn't have a screen because, you know, they're positioning it as the best speaker ever. So it would be weird to have a screen. So, um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I think this is the first iteration and I don't see it really setting, like, revolutionizing home audio quite yet. You know, one of the challenges with Siri right now is that so often in most of people, most people's interactions with Siri, um, you get to a point, especially looking things up on the internet, where it sort of says, well, I found this for you. You could look at it. And it punts you to the screen, right? And that's going to be <laughs> here, one challenge. I that for you. Yeah. But, but here's, yeah, Wolfram Alpha gave me this sheet that you can read now. But this device doesn't have a screen. So between now and December, Siri is going to need to get a lot better at providing you information verbally. And uh, and it only does that in certain contexts now. So there's there's a bunch of challenges there. They could have made a product that sounded worse and was cheaper with Siri at the fore, and they chose not to. And I mean, it, it is. Am I wrong in reading that? Do you think in in reading that as a little bit of a lack of confidence in Siri, at least today, by Apple that the music is at the front and Siri's just kind of. I mean, like literally, there was a couple slides at the end. They're like, oh, and of course Siri's there, so you can ask a questions. Anyway, here's the price. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right. Maybe it's because they, at least the ones that were in the demo area, I understand, weren't set up, weren't working with Siri at all. It was just a music player. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what people were telling me. So maybe it just wasn't ready to show off. I, I heard. Th- I heard it, and it was you know. Yeah, you couldn't touch it. The ones in where the where the developers were, um, you couldn't touch. You could only look at, and they were basically non-operable. The one that I I was able to hear, you know, you couldn't speak to it. So nobody knows. But maybe, but maybe that's also smart uh, because there's certain, there's a lot of time between now and the ship date, so they can have their own event in which they really do show off. We have we have increased series smarts about music so much where you can say. Play that song that I like with that guy who sings the way that I like that other guy who drums and figure out that, okay, you mean this track right here. But it's I think if it's smart, if it's smart, it's smart in the sense that they know that they cannot compare with uh, with uh, Google Assistant. They cannot compare with Alexa. They just Siri just isn't in there yet. So but what they can compete on is an incredible sound experience and a really cool object to put in the room that you certainly don't want to distract attention from because it's so cool. Those are two things they can absolutely do really well. And for people who have 350 bucks, maybe they'll go for that. So, Michael, what do you think about about the the status of Siri at Apple based on this? Is this (laughs) is this a uh, wait and see and we'll have more later because they're going to have plenty of time to talk about this product or is this uh um, you know, we just just nobody met, nobody say Siri. <laughs> well, <kind of> situation. <laughs> um, I think you know it's telling that the people who created Siri once their lockups expired all left. Um, Siri right now was a pioneer, but it definitely lags behind what I can do with Google. It lags behind what I can do um, with Amazon, and you know. One of the most interesting things that I find about Amazon's ecosystem is they've opened it up to developers. I can ask the rabbi, what time does the Sabbath start this week? It'll give me a response. If I ask that to Siri, Siri would just go, huh? <laughs> and I, you know, I agree. I think this is the reason why Apple focused on music where we barely mentioned Siri. You know, I think um, Phil said, yeah, we answered a bunch of queries that most people ask, like, you know, what time is it? What's the weather moving right along? Here's the price point. (laughs) But if you're an audiophile, 
it's still one speaker. Yeah, it's mono. They they do a lot of processing and and they try to create some sort of a a, a whole room effect that's very impressive. They do a pretty good job with it, um, trying to process that audio. But in the end, I asked point blank, uh, you know, what what about what about stereo? And and the Apple response seems to be buy two. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, uh, you know, there you go. And the thing that I find about Echo, and you know, without getting into sound quality. Um, the question of what's good enough. Uh, when I'm sitting, you know, in the living room and I just want to hear a particular song, I ask the thing to play it. I'm happy with it. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound great. I'm not going to compare it with a, you know, a higher end audio system, but it does the job. And by the way, it's free. Amazon Prime Music comes for free and that mostly gives me what I want. Um, you know, we'll have to see. Will the Apple, you know, ecosystem open up to things like Spotify that people really want? Um, or is this the type of thing where it's like, okay, in order to get use out of this, I now have to buy this thing for $349 and I have to be an Apple Music subscriber, um, which adds, you know, a little bit more to it. And as an audio device, uh, I know. Um, most people said that, uh, compared to the Sonos three, it was sounding somewhat better, but I also haven't gotten an answer whether those Sonos things were actually tuned yeah. with the Sonos app the way yeah. they're supposed to be. It's unclear, unclear if they, they were or not. Drama- dramatically changes Absolutely. the Sonos experience. Um, although if, you know, our Sonos right now, the 800 pound gorilla has just, you know, jumped into the pool. Yeah. Yeah, and to Susie's point, I think um, one of the strengths of uh, obviously of Apple's platform with iOS is the third-party developer story, and they announced this at a developer conference with no developer story, which is to me the most baffling thing about it is that why give I, giving developers six months to prepare for this product makes sense, um, but developers have nothing to prepare for because they announced nothing about it, and that seems strange when one of the greatest strengths of the Echo system is that there is the trigger system where you can go out to a web app and it can provide information back, and that can be quite sophisticated and allows third parties to hook into the system. And I was really expecting some story about that. And maybe there will be a story down the line, but this was their opportunity to talk to their developers and evangelize them about this device. And it just isn't there. So, I, I, you know, I don't know where, where that story goes from here and how long we might have to wait. Well, when Siri got some integrations with iOS 10, one of, you know, there were only a few kind of limited places and, and Apple could do its own, you know, have Siri control music, but third party apps couldn't. And when they announced the HomePod, I kind of groaned and thought, oh, that's, this sets back um, third party music app support coming to Siri. Cause now, I mean, they have even less of a, of a reason to open yeah. that up when they want to keep people locked into their, their, their music service and their hardware now. Apple's ecosystem has always been the power, at least, you know, in in recent years. Um, One thing leads to another. Is this a case where people look at Apple's ecosystem and say, it's gotten a little too narrow for me at $349 that I'm willing to go elsewhere and I'm not paying a particular price for it, particularly where I can plug in Echo into another speaker, or I've got a $49 dot here that's plugged into uh, a pretty good speaker that I picked by myself, and it was still a lot less than 
349. So is the ecosystem now becoming Apple's Achilles heel? And I don't see Apple opening this up to Spotify or any other music service. It just doesn't feel like that's something they would do. Yeah, the, the the constant, the regular problem with Apple, particularly the past year or two, is that they're just not delivering value the way that they used to, where you could say that, yes, we're charging you $1,700 for a laptop, but here's everything you're getting with it that you would either have to pay extra for or build quality that would cause this thing to, our laptop to last a year or two or three longer than what you would get off of a comparable Windows machine. Now, it really is, how much do I love Apple design? How much do I love Apple styling? How much do I love Apple Music that the only box that I can actually say, hey, Shlomo, please play this and actually hear music coming out? Do I love it that much that I'm going to have to buy this one really expensive speaker? Or is this the time that I see how easy is it to transfer everything over to Spotify or Google Music or something else? They, they really are betting heavily on the idea that what people want is a really wonderful one speaker when every time I've, I'm thankful that I I own these uh, these smart speakers. It really is about being able to talk to something no matter where I am in the house and make things happen. Like you know, when uh, when you gave me the invite to be on this podcast yesterday, I was uh, I was in my it was like two a.m. I was in bed and was able to just call out, "Hey Shlomo, set an appointment for X p.m." Okay, got that. And then, and as I was sitting down here on a totally separate machine, I'm, I want to remind myself there's an eBay auction that's ending like 15 minutes after we stop recording. And once again, I don't have to, I have a phone with me, but I don't want to pick it up and activate something. I also don't want to have to walk into the next room so that my $350 super stylish speaker can hear me. It really is about having these receptors that have good enough speakers, really good, but just good enough speakers, but it's available everywhere. And the last thing is that, it can't it, you can't just paint me a word picture phil about how good this sounds at some point i'm going to listen to my own music in it and right uh, coincidentally over the past month or so i've been getting in a whole lot of uh, let's say better than $100 Bluetooth speakers in my office to review. And they really, they do cost about 300 to $400 right about this target age. And the, it's great for smash mouth. Everything is great for smash mouth uh, all day long. It'll play, it'll play smash mouth. Great. And then, uh, and then I'll, I'll say, all right, that was great. Now that, now that our warm up is done, let's get into the, let's, let's get you on the elliptical machine for the heart stress parade. We're going to play some Diana Damrau, who is this amazing, just tectonic coloratura soprano. And when she gets to these speed runs of these high notes, that's when this $350 speaker sounds like something I bought at the drugstore because I lost my headphones and I had to buy anything that would let me listen to podcasts. So once it does that, that's when I realized that, okay, I got four days left before I can return this and get my money back, I think I'll return it right now. This is the question I have. I actually wrote about a piece about this um, at Macworld, I think. I wrote one at Macworld and at Six Colors. But one of the que- things we don't know about this device, and I think it's going to be interesting to follow, is exactly what kind of processing Apple's doing. Are they going to offer presets? Are they going to intelligently change how the audio is processed based on what genre it's in, what kind of audio it is? It is an intelligent enough speaker that it's possible that it does the right thing. And Andy might say, wow, that really sounds way better than these other speakers do. It's also possible that they won't. And we just don't know. And until... We're able to choose our own music that we know very well and put it through its paces. None of us are really going to know what kind of uh, of, of 
audio value it can give us. Let's. Um, that's, that, that, that's when Phil says most people don't listen to that kind of music, yeah. so we don't regard that as an yeah. issue. It's great, for pop. <laughs> it's great for pop music. All right, let's um, move on to another topic. Before we do that, I want to take a very quick break and tell you about one of our sponsors. This episode of Download brought to you in part by Hover. If you own a domain, you may have heard about something called Who Is Privacy. It's a domain feature that keeps all of your information away from prying eyes. And if you don't own a domain with Hover, you may have paid $10 or more to keep your private information private. That's right. It seems a little bit wrong, but some domain registers make you pay to stop your personal information from being leaked on the internet so that other people can find you. At Hover, who is privacy is free. Hover believes that privacy is not an add-on. It's a fundamental part of the service. It's your right to keep your information private. Hover knows what you want from a domain service, an easy experience in your personal information kept private because it's your information after all and wouldn't it be great to have great customer support hover's got that too if you have any dns troubles they're going to be there to fix it that's what makes them awesome now you no longer have to be envious of hover's simple interface and dedicated customer support because you can transfer your domains from other registers registrars to hover and enjoy a better way to manage domains there's never been a better time to try hover is running a limited time 40 percent discount for any domains transferred in the month of june the transfer is free and you get 40 percent off the price of an additional year on your domain and if you're wondering what happens to the remaining time you have left before you need to renew well you get to keep it that's right you keep the existing time you have left on your domain you can transfer any time and then hover will tack another year on so don't put it off any longer get 40 percent off an additional year on your transfer by going to hover.com slash transfer my domain thank you to hover for sponsoring download okay for my money the product winner of this week is the ipad apple announced updated versions of the ipad pro including a slightly larger 10.5 inch model that's welcome but the really amazing stuff i think comes with ios 11 where most of the banner features involve adding productivity to the ipad and sometimes the iphone in terms of more advanced multitasking features more direct access to cloud storage systems and file management so I'm curious what you all think. Uh, Does this act demonstrate that Apple really believes iOS ultimately will be able to carry the load of work that traditional computers do? What signal is this sending about Apple's belief in the iPad as a productivity device? Susie, what do you think? Well, it's funny because right now, I think the people who use the iPad Pro or even just the regular iPad as like a primary productivity device are really kind of power users. And I think Apple wants to convince like just regular users who, you know, need to do some surfing and some email and and nothing like super crazy that the iPad would be good for them. But I think it's kind of there's an inversion sort of going on right now where the people sort of that are willing to kind of tinker with their workflows um, that much are, are the are the power users who really love Apple. But yeah, this is going to be really big. Um, if you go demo it, I think it, it, it people are going to have to really like use it and, and uh, get their hands on it uh, to be believers because the the multitasking stuff that they put in last time, it's it's a big step forward from what we had, which was, you know, basically nothing. Um, but these, these look like a, an exponential improvement just because, you know, when you go into that new app switcher, it's going to show you exactly what the screen is going to look like when you switch over. And right now that's, that's not really the case. So yeah, I I think it's going to be a really big deal, but it's going to be hard. I mean, they'll, they'll come up with a great ad campaign or something to kind of demo it to, to enough people to get them to think like, oh, then when, you know, the next time my, my laptop is getting really old, I might be able to just get by with an iPad. 
I love it too. Uh, I'm I'm like you, Jason. I, every time I leave the house, it's not with my MacBook. It is with my um, 12, 12.9 inch MacBook Pro, excuse me, iPad Pro, because it really is optimized for the stuff that I need to do when I'm away from my home office. So I don't really need to have the full Photoshop or the full Lightroom. Uh, I really just need to bash a lot of words. I need to be able to keep up with communications. I need to be able to access the web. Uh, and it's nice to have really nice, powerful uh, iOS versions of some of my desktop apps. Uh, and that's always, gr- I'm grateful for that sort of stuff, but it gives me everything I need and throws away everything that would be cumbersome or get in my way. And also lets me choose my own keyboard <laughs> as I travel, which is a really, really big, big thing for me. Cause again, I'm trying, try- I can be going out to site thinking that I'm just going to like go out for lunch, but then 8,000 words later, they're closing down the coffee shop and they're asking if sir would kindly get the hell out of the coffee shop. And I've noticed I'm actually doing this sort of stuff on the iPad. So they're making a lot of really nice changes. What I like is that they seem specifically to be uh, zeroing in, on a lot of the basic pain points that have existed about using the iPad as that kind of a productivity device since practically day one. Files doesn't look like it's that much more complicated than what a really good third-party app could be, but the fact that it's it's Apple's app for accessing files and also that it has hooks into the operating system, that's going to not totally eliminate the biggest pain point of of uh, the iPad, but it will at least make it easier to take. I've got an arbitrary file on an arbitrary device. I would like to use it on this uh, on this iPad. How do I do that? Um, if anything, it it really does show how invested Apple is in making sure that the iPad succeeds. And I'm I'm convinced it's not just financial. I mean that they have they have written new chapters of dogma into the Apple corporate Bible that says that this is the future of everything. We have we have basically put all of our reputations. We have said so much about how big this is that for it to fail, that's completely not acceptable. We will not let that happen. And I believe that's so partly because of if you just compare the the energy level on that stage when they started talking about the improvements to iOS and when they started talking about the improvements to the iPad hardware versus when they were talking about Mac OS, which is, hey, if we we just Look added at some the wacky things. name. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, we're we're doping and topy. Now here's Cheech and Chong to tell us about how it's like, really, I remember a time when we were excited. We couldn't we couldn't wait to see what was what the new version of macOS was going to do and now it's like and now you can when you're editing your mail if you're still using the built-in mail app you can have the co- the composition pane in a separate section of the window you're welcome like okay thank you that's pretty much any web-based app that i'm using and over and over and over again they weren't uh, apart from the new file system they weren't showing off anything that made people excited made people think that apple was terribly excited about the Mac. But again, as soon as as soon as they start talking about their child that's going to Harvard, not the one that's trying to make a go of the music industry, that's what oh my oh my <laughs> Julia, do you realize he she got early acceptance at Harvard Medical. Oh my goodness. Like and she and she was also arrested for three DUIs. Yes, but you know, she's just so stressed out with all the work she's doing. Uh, me, meanwhile the daughter that's in the band, she's actually like doing three jobs and she's actually making more money than you are. Oh, but she's still finding herself. But Jew, oh my goodness, my my Harvard graduate. That that really is Apple's attitude. I think when they talked about iOS versus macOS, and that was that that stood out to me even as much as I was pleased of the stuff that's happening with iOS over the iPad as an iPad user. 
anecdotal story. When I was at Apple, I prepared a full briefing for Michael Chow, who's in charge of all of iPad stuff. And I presented it to him and I explained all the reasons why iPad was not doing well in the marketplace. And he picked up a large object and threw it at my head and said, I know that. Give me the answer. And there was no answer. If you look at Apple, it's sort of sometimes um, I'm going to date myself here. Is it a dessert topping or a floor wax? Um, It's if you think about that famous Apple evolution slide where every product is supposed to put pressure on the product in front of it um, to make that product better. iPad and MacBook have just kind of not, you know, synced. And we've seen, you know. Campaigns. I remember um, the UVerse campaign with Robin Williams, which was absolutely fantastic. It was beautiful. And I remember talking to people afterward and they said, wow, that was great. But I don't scuba dive. I don't live on the side of a mountain and I don't run a wind farm. This isn't the product for me. And I think we finally have some clarity with these features and more importantly with Apple's messaging that says, this is the future. If you still need one of those, you know, PC type things, well, we'll sell them to you. But the future is this, and we've added all these features, etc. But I'm not quite convinced. I mean, I've been using the developer beta for the last couple of days, and I found it confusing. I found it not particularly intuitable, um, how to get to those other features. And I'm not quite sure that a new user who picks one of these things up is going to be able to figure it out either. So I wonder if the simplicity of iOS has now gotten so complex so that, yeah, people like me who use a 9.7-inch iPad for everything except for recording Skype conversations um, Hmm. is going to feel at home with this new thing that unfortunately is a hybrid. Um, There's something um, that is... uh, I remember from biology, that's called a protista. It's neither animal nor plant. It's just something else. And I still feel that iPad is like that. And a lot is going to depend on how Apple messages this going forward. Um, And of course, how many users really need, you know, drag and drop. I thought that was like really cool and a great demo and all those multiple things but it still feels like we're taking iOS and we're forcing it to be something that it wasn't designed to do in order to sell a product. That said, as you know, an iPad user, I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, once you figure out how stuff works, um, this adds to my workflow and makes it even that much better. But I don't know how it helps the average user, although it may give Apple the clarity to say, finally, this is not a companion device. This is a device in and of itself. It does what most people want and go ahead and buy one. And if you still want something else, well, we still have, you know, MacBook Air kicking around. But if you really want something else, you know, you really want a, you know, MacBook Pro or an iMac or something else. But this is, you know, that mass market appliance that I think Steve Jobs has been looking for since the Mac and even before that. 
you know, I, I, I wonder if they're just in trouble. I wonder if there's some in, in some deep bunker in the new campus. They're just huddled around realizing that we really thought that the iPad would be taking over the world by now. And it's flat. And some of them are doing so poorly that we were actually not even mentioning them in the keynote and or have already decided to cancel them. Meanwhile, for the for the price point of an iPad at the on the Windows side, people can get something that looks a lot like an iPad and feels a lot like an iPad, but it runs a desktop operating system that statistically Statistically speaking, these people are probably already running because we only have eight point something percent of the desktops in America for uh, in the desktops of the world for Mac OS. Meanwhile, we're trying. We got to really hammer home that please give us seven hundred dollars for this thing that doesn't even come with a keyboard for this thing that doesn't have a pointing device that <laughs> that if require that lets you leave your hands on the keyboard area to begin with. And meanwhile, they're putting pressure on people who want a conventional laptop by not selling a conventional laptop. They sell three flavors of the MacBook Air. And if you said no to the first MacBook Air, and then you said no to the second MacBook Air, you're certainly not going to say yes to the third MacBook Air. And meanwhile, again, I think there are a lot of people who don't realize that if Microsoft spent most of the 90s and early 2000s walking around the house mumbling to itself looking for its car keys it found the car keys <laughs> four or five years ago windows 10 is amazing the 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 galaxy of hardware and the the flexibility of the hardware that's out there is amazing but the same kind of build quality is in a macbook pro only you're saving five six seven eight hundred dollars and you're also may, may i say buying a computer that if, you, if it's a microsoft brand computer if it's a dell brand computer if it's a lenovo brand computer the company thinks this is a great computer the company really wants you to buy one of these laptops they're not just saying they're not rolling out a five thousand dollar new like workstation (laughs) workstation mac and saying and we think it's the best machine we've ever the best mac we've ever made for developing ios apps on (laughs) it's like no no give us something that we can actually be productive with anyway i'm i have to agree um for a microsoft that spent more than a decade, you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, they actually have a, you know, coherent solution. Um, You want a Surface Pro, you're going to get a tablet first, but it's also going to run legacy Windows if you need that. You really care about legacy PC applications, but want some tablet functionality? Well, there's Surface Book. And we have this thing called Studio, which is going to be the ultimate desktop because it's going to do all of these different things simultaneously and pitching to the creative audience that has traditionally been Apple, but we see them pushing in other directions. So it's a lot easier in this case, I think, for the first time to sell a toaster fridge because I don't see Microsoft pitching toaster fridge. I see them pitching refrigerator, freezer, side by side, um, and you're buying one thing. You don't need to buy two separate things, whereas the intersection of iPad and MacBook remains somewhat confusing. Um, Apple's commitment to the Mac, I mean, this was probably the most lackluster release of Mac OS, if anything, that Apple was saying that, you know, we don't really care about this all that much. Well, this was evidence of that. Well, Apple has a weird balance to strike there because, like, as you said, the Surface tablets are appealing to people who are familiar with Windows. But if you're buying an iPad, you're probably familiar with the operating system on an iPhone. And then if Apple wants to convince you that this is, you know, iPad is like a flexible laptop thing, they're evolving iOS, you know, into this, you know, third kind of iPad direction. But the more 
that they make it more like a laptop, it's it's getting less like an iPhone. And so, yeah, people are going to are going to pick up iOS 11 and, on the iPad and say, OK, I don't know how to use this. For a long time, I've toyed with the idea that um, that all, Apple and Microsoft have both been making logical decisions based on their positions in the market. Apple has this incredibly successful mobile operating system, and so they're trying to advance that. That's their next generation operating system, and they also have the Mac. And Microsoft didn't have that, and so Mac- Microsoft has made Windows into sort of all of those things. And I think those are both logical, but it is worth asking the question: What if, in the end, the market, the way the market is going, Microsoft strategy is right, and Apple's str- strategy, which is to to have these this bifurcated sort of like old school computer over here totally new school computer over here buy one or buy both maybe you know what if in the end microsoft strategy which is no it's all the same thing and you can flip back and forth in one box is the right one my, my thinking adjusted a few months ago maybe even late last year apple bet on the wrong horse they're wrong microsoft hmm. is right here i'm saying i'm saying that you have you've got uh, people if you have a desktop operating system that does not support touch at all, okay, you're, you're we're grooming a generation of users whose they, their first touch of a computer was not with a keyboard or later on a mouse. It was a multi-touch surface. And if you don't have a computer that supports that at all, that's not going to seem as familiar or as easy to use or as modern as as the alternative is. The fact that you can go out and get any sort of we're talking we talk about Windows 10 and multi-touch. Of course, we tend to think about Surface like tablet sort of things. But we're also talking about a really dull looking Dell, you buy 500 of them and issue one to each of your each of your employees at a big company thing. But that thing will also probably have a touchscreen because why not? And you can also fold that screen behind backwards upon itself and turn it into something so you can actually be watching videos in your hotel room while you're, while you're doing something else. Or it's, it's flexible and you can do all kinds of things with it. There's so many opportunities that have been shut out because Apple is still insisting to the point of making a 2016 MacBook that has this absurd combination of touch in a places that make no sense whatsoever and do not enhance the user experience one bit. That's how desperate they now are to say, no, 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 we're absolutely right. We will not. It makes no sense to have multi-touch or touch on a desktop operating system. It makes more sense to have this tiny, tiny little OLED screen so that while you're typing on a keyboard, it will suggest a autocomplete. So you take your hands off a physical keyboard, reach up and tap a, a, a virtual button to complete the word was. They're, they they bet on they bet on the wrong horse. They don't know what they're doing. Well, it's, tell us how you really feel, Andy. I, I've been I, I've been I've been measured before, and look at where it's got us. I, I, so I'm, I, uh, I'm done. Yeah, it's your fault where where we are. I'll accept the blame. This argument would be that uh, the next generation of users who loves the touchscreen is going to use the iPad as their computer. But I think that the problem is okay. There's like this. There's where we are today, and there's that beautiful future, and then there's this big kind of like question mark in the middle. Whereas Microsoft's sort of like, no, it's just all the same thing, and. Um, so, Susie, you have been writing about Apple for quite a while uh, when you were at Macworld, when you were at MacLife. You look at the Mac today. Uh, what do you, how, how do you feel about the Mac today? Do you, do you want the Mac to evolve into something more iPad-like, or is that a scary, a scary future where it's not the Mac you know? Because Apple seems to believe that Mac users don't want change because uh, that, that would not make it not a traditional Mac anymore. And people, the, people forget, but a few years ago, people freaked out at the suggestion that Apple was ios the Mac. And the result was Apple said, okay, we'll stop. And this is where we are. So does, where would you want the Mac to go, Susie? Um, I think the Mac is 
pretty complete. I think it needs um, better price points. And uh, but yeah, I mean, when the when the Touch Bar Mac came out, um, I was pretty pretty into it um, because it sort of it did feel like something different. Um, it, it felt like it was kind of. Uh, you know, it was it was a, a new way to to interact with a Mac that hasn't really had a new way to interact with it for a while. Yeah, like they would give it little iOS touches like um, Control Center and stuff that uh, you know Mission Control. What's it called? Um, the one where all the the things pop up they and it looks like an, I, an iPad yeah. screen, right? Um, that no one uses, and I don't even remember the name of it. So yeah, they they got away from that. So I think the operating system on, on the Mac is pretty refined. They 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 didn't really you know have a lot to, to say about it so do you find find this desire though to like you wish that instead of uh instead of maybe investing all in 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 ipad productivity features that they started to progress the mac toward that that point with touch and um other kind of features that are more reminiscent of ios because that's that that's the dilemma here with mac os is do they evolve it or do they say no the ipad is where all of that is going to happen from now on well i got to spend a couple of days um shortly before i left MacWorld with the surface studio because pc world had it so um we I, I used it you know just as my thing for a couple of days and it was so cool so um the way that the touch bar kind of made me think oh like a new way to and this is exciting but then it turned out to be, you know, just a really fancy emoji picker. Um, but the Surface <laughs> Studio, like, really made, like, it just ignited my imagination in a way that a computer hasn't for a long time. You know, it's putting it up and just putting it down. And, like, it just sort of felt different. I felt more creative. I felt more, like, with it. Um, so it was like a standing desk for my brain. So I was like, they, they, I think they're on to something here. So I don't know if Apple definitely chose wrong, and it would be a huge reversal for them to say, okay, we're going to put Touch in macOS, and then, yeah, everyone will freak out thinking they're just making it iOS, because that's, you know, the operating system that's winning over there. Um, but but it feels like they got to do something. I, the Surface Studio was was super compelling. I mean, obviously, it's not, you know, a thing that that just and Joe computer user is going to run out and buy. It's very very expensive, um, but it, it it's they're really onto something with that thing. I'd, I'd buy a twenty four inch iPad, but that's just me. Anyway, <laughs> I, it's a big market of me. Um, we should probably move on to another topic. Uh, but first, before I do that, let me tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Download also brought to you by SetApp from MacPaw. Many big-name Mac apps are switching to subscription models for their apps. So what happens to the smaller apps, the utilities, other stuff that's incredibly useful? Um, the developers of some of those utilities, Clean My Mac and Gemini for Two, MacPaw uh, is the name of the company. They decided to take it one step further with SetApp, which is a subscription service that features 70 different apps from a bunch of different developers. It's $9.99 per month and features apps like Ulysses, uh, SQL Pro Studio, and Rapid Weaver because MacPaw is curating these apps from reputable ben- vendors. You don't have to waste your time searching for good apps. You'll just have access to them. It installs in your Mac as a handy catalog. You can flip through apps and install the ones you want. There are no paid upgrades, no in-app purchases, no hidden costs. Every app is fully functional and updates automatically for free. Set up as free to try for a month and you can earn six more free months by referring friends. Find out a lot more today by going to setapp.com and thank you to setapp from macpaw for supporting this show and all of relay fm now before we move on to topic number three i just want to really quickly mention a story you might have missed something that flew under the radar this week especially if you're just being washed over with apple stories did you know that your printer may be tracking you an nsa employee with the very unlikely name of reality winner 
I am not making that up, was, and congratulations to her for winning Survivor, I guess, uh, was arrested this week on charges of leaking secrets to the website The Intercept. Among the ways that they narrowed in and found out that it was her allegedly, according to a post at Arata Security, was a series of yellow microdots that most printers print on documents. These microdots form a special code that lets you identify the serial number and even the print time of the print job in question. And this let the NSA, because the intercept unintelligently posted the full set of documents, including the microdots, that helped the NSA track down when and where those documents were printed and used that to discover who printed them. Your printer probably prints these dots too. The EFF even makes a tool that lets you put in the dots and decode what they mean. The more you know, I guess, the more paranoid you can be. And meanwhile, excuse me, be right back. Gonna go buy some more quill pens i guess something like that throwing my printer should i be printing everything on yellow paper is that the workaround i, I think what i heard the workaround is monochrome just print everything black and white just get huh. and, and then yeah. and then because uh, it's it's this little light yellow that most it's very hard to even see it cuneiform tablets that's where yeah, i'm going i know gonna, gonna get some chisel I just thought it was hysterical that this person thought she was like being super clever. Oh, I'm not going to do a digital thing because they can track that. I'll print it out and just take a picture of it. Oops. There will never be a record of what gets printed at the NSA. Yeah. All right. Oops. Uh, all right. Let's move on to topic number three, our last topic for this episode. Um, another uh, one of these Apple announcements this week and thinking about the bigger picture too, Apple um, made some waves with uh, support for virtual reality stuff and macOS hardware and software and also uh, launched a major new bit of technology called AR Kit that brings tools to building augmented reality apps to iOS developers. There were impressive demos on stage um i'm curious what you all think the the press loves to create race narratives right and not even the tech press all press likes to create these race narratives and up to now apple hadn't said or done very much about vr and ar and now they're here so what do you think is apple behind are they caught up it has the starting gun not even fired and everybody's just jockeying for position where are we in the vr and ar race and what did apple do to change that this week. Andy, what do you think? I think it's pretty exciting. I think that's one of my favorite announcements from this week because I'm a big fan of a company not dictating here here is the incredibly good technology we've created for you here's what we intend for you to create with this technology i really think that the way to move everything forward is to say we think this is a really great resource for you please show us the awesome of ar on this platform uh, and if you give these people the tools oh my goodness they are totally going to do that uh, so uh, it's that's it's in complete co- contrast to what for instance google was showing off uh, a couple of weeks ago and what they've been trying to do for the past two or three years with AR where they're, they've been showing off, Hey, we've got this new, uh, platform for ar called project tango it's these uh, tablet special class of tablets and phones that have extra sensors on them and oh my god they can map an entire room so easily and find out where the sofa is and find out how much room there is between that and the lamp and where the window is and where this light source is whereas apple is unusually for apple saying that this is not perfect this is kind of limited but we know that we know from watching pokemon go and how successful that was that if all we do is 
uh, have an AR API that will tell it will tell a developer here is where a flat surface of some sort is. Here is some sense of what the scale of that surface is. Here is some sense of where the light sources on that is. And if you place a model, we will automatically adapt the lighting so that the shadows are always correct and the and the lighting source is always correct and stuff like here is the for the camera app. Uh, we will if there is a two lens camera on this iOS device, we will let you get access to distance information from that sensor who knows what people are going to do with it uh, i i know well okay we do know that the first month is going to be 800 million chinese and russian pokemon go clones uh, sure. on the app store immediately but stuff like wouldn't it be cool to just have like a graffiti wall where we can just if there's a photo you really like we can just toss it onto that wall if you're a mem- if you're a member of this social group or whatever uh, or even in the, it wouldn't be great to be uh, in the walking past a theater, for instance, and the marquee can only show they they, they they can only show so many lines of so many letters, and they lost most of their vowels in the sign kit years ago. But what if you were able to simply hold up a phone and just simply for the the entire marquee is now like a real like billboard about a mile high about here's everything that's going on, here's what's being shown, and here's some photos of what's going on. Just on and on and on and on. That's not the sort of stuff you can say by you can do by saying we've give we. We're going to force people to have a brand new phone. We're going to force pe- uh, developers to buy a brand new computer. Just here are some APIs that let you whatever idea you have. We will make it. We will do 80% of the work. You do 20% of this wonderful idea you have. And just the idea that the phone in my pocket right now will do all that stuff really, really means that Apple made a great, great choice here. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think, um, you know, we definitely, we heard the developer story. And I think that in September, when they unveil the next iPhone, um, there's going to be more to it. um, Because, yeah, the other companies try to convince, you know, they're already coming out with products and, and trying to convince you that, um, you know, this, this is something that you need to, uh, t- to get in on. But I think right now, yeah, talking to the creators first is going to be great. Um, I can't wait to see which of the developers that were at WWC are going to, you know, pop up on stage in September and, and show off what they've built between now and then with the SDKs. Because, yeah, the use, the, the really compelling use cases for this stuff, I don't think are going to come from Apple. I think they're going to come from, from the third parties. I think it's pretty funny that Pokemon Go was the driver for all of this <laughs> technology going totally. forward. Um, and, you know, uh, this is one of those spaces, particularly when you talk of VR, where Apple is behind, where, you know, you had the folks at Oculus at Facebook saying, we're not even bothering to try and do something for a Mac because none of the Macs are powerful enough. And, you know, today, I guess you can spend $5,000 for an iMac Pro. Well, in, de- in December. <laughs> yeah. Or one of these, you know, development external GPUs that you can hook up to your Mac and, and you know, make something sort of work. Um, but it, I don't think VR is quite mainstream. Even if you look at the most mainstream product, which let's say is, I'll argue it's, you know, Sony's PlayStation VR, you're still buying a console. Um, you still need to buy the headset. You're still, and the controllers, you're well, well over a thousand dollars, um, to play this particular game. So AR makes a whole lot of sense because you don't need anything. All you need is, you know, your phone, your phone is the sensor, but, is that really going to, you know, work? I mean, I thought the, you know, uh, demo on stage for, you know, this this future type game through your iPad was like really impressive. 
but I can't see myself actually wanting to hold my iPad or my iPhone for that length. Um, I think what we saw was Apple setting up a foundation for future hardware, whether that's going to be, you know, glasses or other things, but it's the future. And when you talk about AR, the only time I've seen AR really work in a, in a real setting was Microsoft's HoloLens. And it is a fantastic device. Um, if you really want to experience, you know, AR in, in a true setting, go out and buy one. Of course, they're $3,000. So <laughs> we're not talking mass market yet, but. That, to me, was sort of the right idea, something that is persistent. I know someone who uses you know, um, a traditional desktop as their center screen and then has all of these other you know, things set up through their HoloLens that are out there, which is mapping the room. So we're still at the early stages. Um, I, I felt this was a little bit like, you know, so much pressure on Apple saying, where's your AR story? Where's your VR story? You know, Tim said you're doubling down. So it's a good effort. I think it's great for developers. Um, the question is what comes next in terms of hardware. And, and Susie, I agree with you. I, I would not be surprised if we see a version of iPhone in the near future that is in some ways optimized for this but the thing is, augmented reality works when it augments your reality, and that means it's got to be something that's always on, that's got to be persistent, and no one's gotten there yet. I, I, I don't agree. Well, first of all, I think that Apple's already done the optimization, one level of optimization, that's 120 uh, hertz frame rate uh, on the new iPads, because if there's there's so many ways that that makes the experience better, but if you are going to be holding something up and tracking something, you definitely want the higher frame rate. That's going to help things out. But the, the, the reason why I can't imagine myself wanting to walk around holding a phone in front of my face is because I haven't seen that one app that is just killer and solves a very real problem for me. I guarantee you that as soon as Apple uh, and God or God forbid Google decided we're going to be mean spirited and we're going to put an AR feature in the iOS version of Google Maps before Apple can put AR into Apple Maps. The, uh, I get out of I get out of the subway on 181st Street. I know according to the directions I've got on my phone that my friend's apartment is just a, two or three blocks away from here. And rather than holding it holding the phone like a compass, which I normally do and trying to figure out, okay, there's a church there. Is there a church around here? Where do I need to go? The first time I get to simply hold up the phone and just look around and say, oh, yeah, look, there's a, there's a green line on the actual street itself. And I can see that it actually ducks across this cross street and disappears behind this building. I guess I'm supposed to go that way and not go right and not left. That's the sort of thing that makes me glad that I, if I still have an iPhone, I'm, I'm glad that I have an iPhone if, I, if uh, this is the only phone that will let me do that sort of stuff. And once again, the ability to simply say thousands of developers whatever you've ever wanted to do with ar go and do it we're going to make it try to make it easy as possible that's when people start using ar when they find the one thing the for the first thing that makes it so easy to live now that i have this feature that i do not want to even consider not having this feature it does let them i mean ar i was happy to see this announcement i talked to somebody who i won't disclose who it is but somebody who is uh, works with 
you know, devices that cost hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars and, and do visualization in, for the entertainment industry. And he said, this stuff is amazing, the AR stuff, because it is allowing them to use consumer hardware to do visualization in real time. And that's a big deal. But if you look at the long run, yeah, there will be one day, presumably, eyewear or something that will let you walk around and augment your reality. But we all have these devices on our tables and in our pockets now that have cameras and pretty nice screens and it's it's not a bad place to start even if it isn't the end result and the apple has shown that they're um that they're in this game and like to to um the point earlier the um the horse race is always going to be part of the story and i think this at least makes it clear that apple's in a horse race here with many other horses where their positions are I, you know, I don't know. My, I gave it away with my question, which is, I feel like it's early to tell, too early to tell, and everybody's jockeying for position. And it's, these are the early days. We don't really know even what the race course is yet. I would argue, and that this, you know, a- Apple, Apple's using its strength with its app developers to have that be its jumping off point. Yeah, you, you can't you can't really get a home run right out of the right your first at bat. Uh, you, you you forget that uh, the Apple Watch is really great now, but it was. Not a piece of crap when it first released, but it was like they had no idea what this thing was going to yeah, be. Yeah, WatchOS three really was the thing that needed that clarified it at all. <laughs> exactly, and uh, I saw I saw an article by somebody that I kind of immediately started to dismiss as a reliable source of anything after this this article where he was talking about how oh the colossal flop of Google Glass said no it wasn't they they charged fifteen hundred dollars for a very limited production run of people who would absolutely wanted to try this out because Google wanted to see how and or if people would actually use this and it gave them a lot of information on stuff that had nothing to do with google glass in the long run it really is going to be years of companies trying to figure out how this is how this is possibly relevant and listening to customers tell them again if it's no no one would everyone was if everyone was putting uh, trying to make a pitch for uh, venture capital funding for your augmented reality project they're talking about healthcare where or how about uh, interior design and automotive they wouldn't have figured that well we can put cartoon characters in the middle of the of Boston's public garden and people will want to catch them using their phones and kids will want to not stay home with their really big game consoles they'll want to actually go out and gamble and romp and play to catch cartoon characters in the middle of a public park they would have said that's four nose thank you for coming wish <laughs> the best right. of luck it's a, it's a hard pass <laughs> we, we want two dollars for the water bottles of water we gave you too because no that was that was a waste of our time <laughs> Well, it's uh, it was an interesting week. Lots of stuff we didn't. I mean, Apple announced a whole bunch of stuff. This is one of those things about uh, Apple's limited number of uh, big events that it does in a year. Is that um, I feel like they could have done two or three keynotes and uh, taken time to explain more of this stuff. I'm glad they didn't. That would have been way too much. It was already two hours and 20 minutes. It was kind of too much as it is, but it was jam-packed. So um, I want to thank uh, all of you for talking about it with me because we have reached the end um, of this edition of Download. Michael Gartenberg, where can people find you and what you do uh you can find me on twitter at gartenberg and pretty much any place else in the social networking universe as well as on imore andy and Ico, where can people find the stuff that you do uh the tech stuff i write for pay is usually at suntimes.com the chicago sun Times site or if you can spell my last name uh, you can go to uh, uh i'm anatko on twitter i'm anatko on instagram and my blog is at anatko.com and Susie oaks where pe- can people find you 
Um, I'm a hired gun these days. I just posted some things on iMore this week. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter at SFSoz. S-F-S-O-O-Z. Ask yeah. for it by name. When I got that name, I didn't think I'd be saying it out loud on podcasts. Or <laughs> yeah. I would have chosen differently. It happens. <laughs> it happens to us all. And uh, you can find download at relay.fm slash download. You can suggest stories to us with the hashtag download stories on Twitter and reach us on, on Twitter at underscore download FM. And I've been your host, Jason Snell. Look out in the week ahead. E3 is coming next week, so expect a lot of game talk. But until then, we'll be watching the headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody.